When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American designer Isaac Mizrahi about his passion for bridge and his mother's warning that if you don't play bridge by the time you're 40, you will have no friends. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you? Jocelyn, I'm great. How are you? How'd you go at that tournament this weekend? Oh, it was so much fun. And I really wanted to tell you about this one board. Do you remember when we played at the Nationals a few years ago? There was a board where the opponents, I guess you could say they walked the dog like they had a weaker hand that they than they did and they ended up in a three spade contract which I doubled because I had a really good spade holding I thought and they made it and I was really upset <laughs> I do remember now that you say yes yes I think you even thought they were psyching I I thought there was something just really off like it just didn't make sense what had happened like yeah where did he get all these points where did they come from and it was just strange and I remember the guy was really obnoxious well he yes he was a bit obnoxious you could tell he was very much above it above it all like we were little peons and he was a he's a pro and (laughs) yes it was one of those situations well over the weekend I walked the dog when I was playing against him and ended up in a five clubs contract, which he doubled, and I made it. And he threw down his cards <laughs> in a huff. 
And my partner and I kept very straight faces, which you know is not always my strong suit. And we moved (laughs) to the next table, which was far enough away for her to ask me quietly, do you think he was most upset about your bid or my bid? I always want to ask these experts these questions. And I said, oh, I I think he was most upset about his double. (laughs) (laughs) His bid. Anyway, yes. That was very gratifying. (laughs) Oh, I bet. I bet. Did you see him around afterwards? Yes. He handily beat me at every other hand I played against him. But it didn't matter. (laughs) We had a 100% on that board. I was very happy. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. That's so great. And how was the tournament otherwise? Well, it was really fun. One funny thing that also made me think of you, at one point I get to a table and there are all these extra chairs. And I made some kind of joke like, oh, all the kibitzers who are going to be here to to, to watch me play. <laughs> and they thought that was funny. And then I thought, oh, my God, like, I wonder if if there's ever been a situation where somebody actually paid people to fill the seat <laughs> around them playing so that they would look like a big shot. Yeah, I bet. So you could be like a seat filler, a kibitzer seat filler and <laughs> not really have to do anything, but just get paid to sit there. Okay. Are, you, are you proposing this as our future careers? Well, I, yeah, I would do it. Pay me to sit and watch you. Happy to do so. Yeah, yeah. I'll bet people have, have certainly encouraged their friends to come along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking if we could recruit anyone to come and give us that. I, I wouldn't like it, I don't think. I, I just thought it was so funny, the idea of somebody anyone kibitzing me. And then I thought, wow, if if I was, though, a real egomaniac, and if I had money to burn, <laughs> I could see paying people to kibitz me and make me look like, you know, I was really something. <laughs> something, something. Because <laughs> I'm not going to get them any other way. <laughs> oh, you see, I felt like I needed to jump in somewhere with something. <laughs> but, you know, I know where you're coming from, girlfriend. I know where you're coming from. I bet people have stories out there about this, knowing about people who've done such a thing. So if you do, you better share. You better share. (laughs) So this is the part where we get real and ask for your support. As you know, the podcast is available for free and it's a labor of love but it does take a lot of time and effort to put together. Donating is easy. You go to sorrypartner.com and you'll see a tab along the top, support the show, and that takes you right to our secure Patreon page. Many of you have contributed already and we are so grateful. But if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, back to the show. So, Jocelyn, we've had some letters in the mailbag. Would you like me to read them to you? Yes, please. (laughs) I know you're never going to say no. (laughs) Never going to say no. I love the letters. (laughs) Okay. So, our first letter is from Ryan from Illinois. Hi, Ryan. We've heard from Ryan before. You might remember. Oh, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Ryan writes to us, once at a team game, we played a board in two no trump 
twice. <laughs> we played it as our first board in the set and I declared it. Then we played it as the last board in the set and my partner <laughs> declared it. <laughs> no one noticed <laughs> until I realised about halfway through the hand the similarities to a previous hand we'd played only 30 minutes ago. <laughs> I'm not sure what's more disturbing, that no one at the table noticed we had already played this hand or that one opponent passed the first time we played the board and that the same opponent opened the second time we played the board. (laughs) We wound up not playing the actual last board of the match, which our teammates had bid and made a slam on, and they were not at all happy that that result didn't count since we didn't play it at our table. Oh, the insanity at the bridge table. Ryan. Oh, that's heavy-duty punishment, Ryan. (laughs) I suspect Ryan's not alone in that situation. These things happen all the time at tournaments, don't they? There's always some kind of (laughs) muck-up. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that something like that's happened where some mess-up with a Swiss team's shuffle or something caused a particular board not to count, and I was pretty dismayed. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sending the story in, Ryan. As ever, we really appreciate it. And our next letter is from Laurie in Denver, and you'll really enjoy this one, Jocelyn, because it's not her story. (laughs) Hello, ladies. I really enjoy your podcast, especially the kibbutz portion. (laughs) I am enjoying this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little praise. Always welcome. Each week, I try to recall a bridge situation worthy of telling you about. So far, I haven't found one in my own experience, but I met a fellow bridge player on a plane recently who was traveling to the same tournament as I was. I told her about your podcast and my frustration at my lack of relevant stories to share. And so she shared hers. (laughs) The more the merrier. (laughs) So with her permission, here it is. She was playing in a team event where one member of the team was close to life master, so the stakes were high. (laughs) She was playing in a city in middle America where she suspected that many of her opponents were God-fearing religious people. Okay. She bid game and started to play as Declara, calling for a card from Dummy, but it was the wrong one. (laughs) Yeah. Immediately she realized her mistake and uttered loudly a swear word. Oops. (laughs) She didn't say which swear word it was, but it was on the short list of generally offensive ones. (laughs) We'll leave that part up to everybody's imagination. (laughs) Her contract that should have made went down one, and then she apologized to her opponents for the offensive language. (laughs) Their response was, it was clear that in that situation, oh, shucks, would not have got it. (laughs) No, you need, sometimes you need stronger language. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So much for thinking you know your opponents. Oh, Keep up the great work, Laurie. Oh, hey, Laurie. Well, that's marvellous. Thank you so much. And thank you too to our mystery storyteller who <laughs> shared that with you on that flight. The cursor, who I hope is listening. <laughs> yes. And if they have more stories, send them in. <laughs> and our final letter this week is from Risha. And Risha is from Florida slash Ohio. So she must bounce between the two places. And she writes, My partner Pam and I were playing in a gold rush event at a regional tournament. In the final hand of the day, the opponents found their way to six no trump. The husband told his wife 
this is going to be a top board. <laughs> we all know where this is going. Gloating alert. <laughs> <laughs> After a couple of tricks, he called for a rough in dummy. He thought he was in space. Ah. Needless to say, they went down a lot and we were the ones with the top board. <laughs> Fantastic. What fun. <laughs> that reminds me of that top tip we heard from David Byrne recently. Oh, yeah. You can't make three no Trump on a cross rough. And I guess by extension, you can't make six <laughs> no Trump either on a cross rough. So put those spades somewhere other than the right. <laughs> so if you have any good stories about revenge is best eaten cold or about a situation where someone hired kibitzers to sit in the extra chairs to make them look good, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at sorrypartnerpodcast, or you can send us a voice message. These links are all in the show notes and on our website at sorrypartner.com, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Isaac Mizrahi. American designer Isaac Mizrahi is perhaps best known for his work in fashion, but he is also a cabaret singer, theater director, talk show host, writer, and producer. He has been a set and costume designer for theater, opera, and ballet, including for the Metropolitan Opera, the American Ballet Theater, and the San Francisco Ballet. And then there is Bridge. A passionate devotee, he has even designed a Bridge card set for the Jewish Museum in New York. We began by asking about his earliest memory of the game. Well, my earliest memory of Bridge is probably my mom playing it and the kind of the drama between my parents because my father didn't play it. And, and it was like this, I don't know, this symbol of his intellectual weakness or something that he could never figure out how to play Bridge. And she, 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 she resented it because in her day, couples played Bridge together with other couples and she couldn't get him to do that. And so... She ended up playing with her friends in the afternoons, but they never got invited to kind of like bridge games in the evening, which I guess were these important social engagements in the community I grew up in in Brooklyn. It was like sort of a very important thing to be invited to play bridge at night, and, and they never did. You know, so she, she kind of always held that against him. And I remember when I was 25 or something, my mom said, if you don't learn to play bridge by the time you're 40, you'll have no friends, which was sort of like how she really, that's that's because she sort of, she was using that example of my father not playing bridge as this kind of horrible, horrible future for someone who didn't play bridge, you know, at the time <laughs> they were 40. And, and, you know, it's funny because I started with three of my friends, you know, the four of us started learning to play bridge at a bridge club in New York City when I was about, I would say I was about 30. And a friend of mine just said, oh, I'm going to start taking bridge lessons, my friend Gregory, because he also had the example of his mom or his parents playing bridge. And we all thought that it was just the most ravishing kind of civilized thing to sit at a bridge table with three other people and bid and do this hilarious thing. And all the snacks and the sweaters. And, you know, it was a real thing in our lives. 
And he had a very similar upbringing. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, no, darling, we are going together, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we enlisted my boyfriend at the time, this guy, Douglas, and another friend of ours called Stephen, right? And the four of us went to take bridge classes together at this place called Manhattan Bridge Club, which doesn't exist anymore, which is really sad to me. So, and we were 30. And by the time we were 40, we could actually play a decent hand of bridge. But it wasn't until then, you know. So what was it that triggered you to actually go and take the lessons? Well, it was my friend Gregory who said, that's it. I've had it. I'm going to take bridge classes. But why? What? what? What happened? I think he just felt that he was of a certain age and that time was wasting and he had always fantasized about it. And he finally got up the courage and the money to take the classes, you know. And when when he said that, I was like, oh, no, you are so not doing that without me. And it became this kind of hilarious and wonderful bonding thing between us. And then we made so many friends at the Bridge Club, you know, and these are the people that we play with to this day. I play with all the people I met at that Bridge Club. And um, I'm not kidding. I don't think there are any exceptions. I think we all met at this Bridge Club and we were sort of similar in age, you know, some a little older, some a little younger, but we played, we were, we were all kind of interested in playing the game of Bridge. And I will tell you that for the first, I, I don't know, number of months, when I started taking classes with this fellow called Shelley DeSatnik, he was a great bridge player and he's no longer with us. I think he's deceased, but he was a really great player. And I remember I didn't have a clue what the game was about for the first like few months. We would, he, we would listen to these lectures and he would show us things and I didn't know what he was talking about. And then we would do this kind <laughs> of supervised play where he would just kind of give us these hands and he would tell us, you play that card, you play. And I had no idea. You know what, girls? I didn't even, I, I didn't even know that the object of the game was to take tricks. Literally, <laughs> no one told us that. No one told us that. We were so busy learning, you know, the suits and the way they set up and how many points was in a hand and how to bid your points and all that stuff that I did not even realize that it was about taking tricks until literally, like I would say three or four months into the process. And that's probably because I was just, I missed something or because I was just like really thick and I just couldn't, you know, it took me a minute. So. So what made you stick with it if it was such um kind of a mess and impenetrable set of lessons that you were being confronted with without any sense of how it tied together? You know, I think it's because I am this person who adores this, this kind of you know, I love something impenetrable. I lo the, 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 the less penetrable it is, the more I love it. And also there was a fun to it and a glamour and a like getting to the club and seeing these other kooky people and the dinner that you could get for like $5, which was terrible, but it was like, you know, a dinner at the club. And it just felt so fun. It felt so adult. I think it was because of the adultness of it, you know? I think that's what made me stay with it. And I literally, I love, the more something is, the more, I, I told you, it's like, I, I, I just finished the Proust books, you know, all the Proust, the seven books of looking for lost time because of the impenetrability of it. It's just something that you have to keep digging at until it finally just dawns on you. I just like that kind of thing, you know? So you're obviously still playing, Isaac. How often do you play? Well, you know, I play every day online. Mm. Uh, and then I also have this ridiculous 
sort of, it's not even online. It's just on my phone mm-hmm. and on my computer called Bridge Baron. It's the most ridiculous program in the world. I remember that. And I, it's like, you know what, darling, it, it has become like a nervous habit over the past 20 years. It's like whenever I'm not doing something, I'm playing bridge on Bridge Baron, which is not the greatest. It's not the most healthy environment. Like it's very, very messed up the way the hands are and the way they, the bidding is so messed up. You know, it's, 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 it's the way to learn bad habits. But keeping that in mind, it's also the thing I do when I'm like freaked out on an airplane because we're delayed or, you know, and I'm really nervous hours before I'm supposed to go on in some show or something. I'm, I'm literally manically playing hundreds of hands of bridge. That's what I do. <laughs> and you know what's so funny? It's like, I've, I, I have to say, like, my mom and I have been very close my whole life. Like, we have a really close relationship and I love her. And I also hate her, as I'm sure you understand what I mean by that. You know, you hate your mom, right? I love my mom. I hate my mom. But I love her. Every time I, th- I think of the fact that it was her that inspired me to play bridge, you know, I just love her. And I remember when we first started learning and she would come to my apartment and play with my friends and I and teach us. And it was such a lovely thing to like, you know, it was the greatest thing because you know, we were more friends than anything, my mom and I, you know, and it was just this great friendship we had over bridge too, you know. That's wonderful. I mean, of course, I think that us playing bridge together was a very, very kind of, well, let's call it, quote, special bond that we had. It's like, if not weirdly like inappropriate or something, because she couldn't get my father to play. And so she played with me and it was like, a little strange. I'm not kidding. It was a little bit, I, I mean, honestly, on the surface, it, it wasn't strange because it was just, you know, a mom playing bridge with her son. But deep, deep, deep down, I always felt that my mom and my dad, though I guess they were well-mated and they never divorced or anything. I mean, he died when I was really young. He died when I was 20. Mm. So, you know, so she was always kind of like looking for this other kind of companionship. But I will admit to it being slightly uh, it was almost like a like an arrow pointing to this this slightly inappropriate relationship that we had, you know? I mean that. And it's funny, but it's also kind of like true and a little on the tragic side, you know? A little bit on the tragic side. And, you know, now, I swear to God, my mom is a little bit, you know, she's 94 years old. And so she's very, she, she goes in and out of reality, right? And I visit her like, I don't know, once a week or a couple of times a month. And, you know, she says the same seven things over and over. She tells the same stories over and over. We eat the exact same thing that her caretaker provides, et cetera. And it's just the same visit. And, and, and it's really difficult to get her to understand. You have to like shout at her because she can't hear and you have to repeat it a few times till she understands. But about, let's see, about a month ago, I played in my apartment, I played with my friends. And the last hand that we played that day, my partner Richard and I bid seven no Trump and I made seven no Trump. And it was something, it was so, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. I mean, can you remember the last time you bid and made seven no Trump? I mean, it happens that you make it out of fluke, but to bid it, it's never possible. But this was so biddable and it was practically a lay down. After the first two tricks, I just, I claimed because everything was just, and it was something so beautiful. And I, the, next, the next day I visited with my mom, who is, you know, very incapacitated. And I said to her, darling, yesterday I bid and made 
seven no Trump. And that went right in. She completely understood that. And then every, you know, every single time I see her since then, I walk in and she looks up and she says, you made history. You made history. You made history. Seven no Trump. It's hilarious. Like that's the one thing she like grasped onto, you know, in her, in her later days that her son bid and made seven no Trump. <laughs> it is it is very memorable and very exciting when it happens and far too rare. <laughs> way, way too rare. Yeah. But of course, sometimes like, you know, one club is just as satisfying as seven no Trump, you know, right? Of course. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to think. That's what we're supposed to believe. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, nothing pleases me more than making a low level contract, as Jocelyn well knows. <laughs> Are you girls partners? Is that it? Yes, yes. Oh, I see. We're each other's first ever bridge partners. Well, oh, that's so adorable. I love that. And you go to Duplicate, do you? Or Oh, yes. Well, we live in different countries now. We met when we ah, both lived in San Francisco. Right. Well, here's the thing that really kind of is so sad to me, which is that it mostly exists online. You know, we played the other day with a woman called Ruth, who was about 90, I think, or something, and still, you know, sharp as a tack, raced into the room, you know, was completely nimble on her feet, et cetera. And, and she plays in duplicate. I don't really play duplicate a lot because I have such a crazy schedule. And I mean, there are no clubs anymore. You do it online. And that made me so sad because, boy, there was such a fun thing about being in a room with 10 other tables full of people. And just there was just something fun about it, you know? It's so fun. And the big tournaments are still happening. They're not as big, but they are still mm -hmm. happening. And you get that excitement when you go. When you go. When you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you still host a weekly game at home? Well, it's not exact. I wish it was weekly. I wish it could be that kind of organized, but it's not. And I keep thinking at some point I'm going to engage with some kind of pro and we're going to start some kind of a, like a duplicate thing somewhere in New Ooh. York City, you know, because there's one duplicate. I think it's at Honors. I think that's the name of the club that still exists in New York City. But that's it. Like there's one duplicate. I think it's now called Bridging Games. And oh, it is. It's on the Upper East Side. Mm. Oh, that's so sad to me. Tell us more about this, this idea you have about establishing a duplicate club. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, first of all, I keep thinking, I, I, you know, it's because I play, we play at home when we play in person. Is this you and your husband? Does he play? No, no, my husband does not play. It's hilarious because at some point, one of my best friends and my husband and another friend and another friend, four of them, tried to learn. And we thought, give them a couple of months and then we'll play with them for a while, then a couple of years and then in 10 years we'll be playing bridge, you know. But these people, first of all, they they just didn't really want to. They they thought it was just funny. They would laugh. We would listen to them in the other room thinking, this is not, it's not such a funny thing, you know? And then like literally months later, I'd say like, darling, how many points in this hand? And he'd say, oh, uh, or, you know, I'd say to Myra, like, Myra, what order are the suits? Like, should I put the hearts first or the spades first? And like, they didn't know what we were talking about. And it was like, okay, these people don't, I mean, we, you know, this is, these are the things you're supposed to learn in the first lesson or two, but they just could not fathom it. They just couldn't fathom it. Oh gosh. So who, who do you tend to play with? Who's in your bridge circle? Well, I play with a person called Richard Desroches, 
who is, you know, a, he, I met him at the club. He's a little slightly older than me. And and he's a sort of an art, an art historian. And he had a great gallery in New York City for years. So I play, I play with him now for like, I'm not kidding, like something like 30 years. I play with him and I play with someone called Corey Sika, who I've also known for like 30 years. And then the, the fourth is usually this fellow called Dale Peck, who also is, a, he's a novelist, a very good and very successful novelist, Dale Peck. And so it's the four of us usually, sometimes we get this person called John Orkut, who works, I'm not exactly sure what he does. I think he's like a civil, like a lawyer of some sort, like a, a, a lawyer. And who else do we play with? Sometimes we play with this guy called Chris, who is a darling fellow. And he's like, I think he's in finance somehow. It's terrible not to know what these people do. But you know what? I don't care as long as they know how to bid and then how to play the game and they're nice guys and they're full of gossip in the between and they're full of stories in between. And I don't know. It doesn't matter that I don't know their names, you know, or their <laughs> professions. It's fine. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So is there a way that you can categorize a quality that you really love about people who play bridge? Well, there there is this thing about defensive bridge, you know, playing defensive bridge. There is an evilness to it. There is an absolute <laughs> evil, evil, evil thing when you're defending in bridge. And to lead that card that you know is coming, et cetera, it is just, it's terrible. And there's a glee that one takes in knowing <laughs> the card that you're supposed to and knowing how to take a contract down and knowing that 
if you do this for long enough, you'll start trumping. I mean, you you understand what I'm talking about. There's an evil glee, right? And, you know, it's funny. It's like you almost watch you, you, you appreciate it in another couple. You, you appreciate this kind of evil glee that people take as opposed to resenting it. I never resent it. I always think like, good for you, you know? <laughs> And now you've challenged me and I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this hand work. But there, I think one of the qualities I really like is a ruthlessness and also like a seriousness. I don't like it so much when there's an awful lot of talking in the hand. I don't like it when there's an awful lot. I like people to understand the formality and the serious nature and the real challenge that I, I look at it as a real challenge. I like it when it's social. I think, you know, in between hands, it's lovely to like chat and fun to like have snacks and, and, and gossip and stuff. But like when the hand is going on, you know, I think more and more we appreciate this kind of quiet, you know, quiet and seriousness. And I love those qualities. I love this kind of ruthlessness and this kind of dignity and seriousness. But, you know, some people are just not made for it. Like my dear, dear friend who tried to learn this woman who lives downstairs from me, and she could not take it seriously. It was, she did not care about the hand. She cared only about the social environment and the beauty of, of the people and the way they were talking. And that's all she, she didn't really. And it was a little frustrating because eventually I don't think it's not a comp, it's not a competitiveness really. It's there's this thing about bridge that is like, it's, it's this kind of beautiful symbolic circular thing that just keeps going, right? It's like a wheel of some sort. And I just respect it and I love it just as much as I love everything else in a social interaction, you know? Does that make any sense? Because sometimes people just don't take it seriously. And I understand that. I get that because it is a game, you know? Like when people say, oh, it's a game. And of course I know it's a game, but I love the game and I want to play the game and not just be in the room with three other people who who are having tea and, and, and scones. I wonder if it's also the experience you had learning at a club, at a duplicate club, which is so different than playing party bridge with friends. And that's how I learned. And I, we table talked and I had no yes. clue until I started playing in a club, like how serious it was supposed to be. And you can't go back, but I wonder if it, I wonder if people who learn in a more casual party bridge type setting just don't quite appreciate the seriousness to which, you know, other people want to bring to the game. It might be that. It might be that because we learned in a club, we have a better kind of more kind of serious aspect to our our social games. And of course, it's like, you know, we joke all the time, like, you know, we say, director, this is like a joke, <laughs> director, <laughs> at the drop of a hat. It's, it's, oh, it always gets a laugh, you know, that that line. And then, of course, I remember like being in the club when people would seriously call the director over. Oh, yeah. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> you know, I remember when we first started playing, my mom told me that she said to us, as though we were supposed to understand this, she said, when I started going to duplicate, every time I came home, I had to throw the blouse away, you know? <laughs> and I'm thinking, throw the blouse away? What does that mean? Throw the blouse? Finally, we said, what does that mean? And she said, well, because, you know, you sweat. And if you're wearing a silk blouse, it's ruined <laughs> by the end of the game. So you have to just throw the blouse away. So it's true. It's like you just, you sweat. When you're in duplicate, man, that is. 
and and you learn to kind of adore it. Like in the beginning, it's a little bit puts you off and you think I'm never doing this again until the next time you do it. And then the next and the next. And by the fifth or sixth time, you're like, you know, it's honestly, I will liken it to this idea of stage fright. You know, I I perform a lot and I have stage fright. I'm not going to lie. I get hysterical, you know. And especially when I haven't done it in a few months or something, and then I go on tour or I get a, you know, a residence of, you know, two weeks or something like that. The first night is so awful. And the second night and the third night, but then by the fourth or the fifth night, you just are looking forward to this kind of incredible challenge of just walking out in front of people and just whatever it is, singing or telling jokes or whatever it is you're supposed to do. And it's the same thing with bridge. Like by the fifth or sixth time, you understand that you have to really, and I've, the thing I've noted to myself, I continue to note in my old age playing bridge, and I've been playing for 30 years, is that the more aggressive you are, the better your score in the end, the more master's points you will have at the end. I mean that even if you go down a lot or something, not a lot, but I think you know what I mean. It's like, that's the thing about bridge and the thing about chess and the thing about all these wonderful games is you learn all these rules. And then at some point you kind of, it opens up in your mind and you get that there are all these possibilities and you, you have to use your better judgment and you have to kind of, you know, a, there's a little, there's the, the little bit of guessing that, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I thought you had four pieces of Trump, but I guess you have three. Because they were not lying, but you see what I mean. In order to get to the next level in the bidding, you said two no Trump over a one heart opening or something instead of saying three hearts, you know, whatever it is. So you go, oh, I guess I didn't understand. And so you went blah, blah, and she went blah, blah, and he went. And so in the end, you're in whatever contract you're in, and maybe it's not the best, but you end up, you know, you, I think like that kind of a thing is important to look at because I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. You know, if you're the greatest bridge master in the world, the lesson is that you sometimes have to stretch. You sometimes have to, you know, like use a little bit of wily kind of uh, luck or something. I used to read the bridge column and I would say to myself, like, how did he get to that contract? How in the hell did you end up in that contract? And then he would make the contract or they'd go down. But You know, out of five ridiculous contracts, if you make three of them, you're going to have a top score that night, you know, and he would do that. And you know what I'm talking about. They would be in these ridiculous like cowboy. They were like cowboys, you know, Zia Mahmood. That's who it was. He's a very psychological player. He says things like, I can know all about you after playing against you for 15 minutes. And I, I wonder, like, do you relate to that being a psychological player? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. You can see people through their bidding and see people through the way they play hands. You can. And also, I mean, I like to default to good bidding, but sometimes it's not all that possible, is it? Especially when you have a false opening or something or you have certain conventions. Yeah, there's an art as well as the science. There's an art. Exactly. And so, you know, I don't like talking about that too much because it sounds... It sounds like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in bridge. But I feel like that's the better part of the game, you know? Sometimes I play with this wonderful guy called Phil Alder and his wife, Kitty. When they're in New York, he's that incredible pro who used to write the column for the New York Times. 
and he's a teacher and he travels around teaching people. He's amazing. And when they're in New York, we play. And the thing about him is that he's so learned and I'm on my best behavior when I'm with Phil because I don't want to, I don't want to throw his game off by somehow bidding something insane to my partner. Even when we're not partners, I know that my communication with my partner is something that he's listening so intently to. And just as a gentleman, I don't want to throw him off, you know, but then eventually I think, no, wait a minute, this is a competition. It's a game. And I didn't get that contract because I was being too polite. You know, at some point you just go like, nope, I'm going to dig in here, you know, but the thing that the thing that Phil knows that I don't know, and I don't know about you ladies, but I don't know, is that Phil knows odds, darling, uh. odds. Like he knows if the odds of finesse working, he knows these things and we don't. And that if we could learn odds, darling, if we could learn <laughs> odds, we would just oh. be. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. Phil, yeah. if you're listening, we would like a <laughs> class in odds, darling. That's what we need. <laughs> Isaac, do you read bridge books? You know, I should. I, sh I, I, I did, of course, when I was learning. I have many, many, many bridge books. But no, I don't. I don't read bridge books. I wish there was a bridge column, boy. I wish somebody would write a bridge column. Mm -mm. I know. Who's the most interesting person or opponent you've ever come across at the bridge table? Oh, you know, I can't really think of... I mean, I wish I could say that I played bridge with, with Mick Jagger, but I never did. You know, I, I can't say that. <laughs> you know, I played with, I remember I, I, like in the beginning, I played with certain socialites or certain editors, but that was not, you would never really know who they are today, you know? So I can't really, honestly, I, I'm not sure. I mean, we play with just the people we play with. And Phil sometimes, you know, he was the most interesting and most kind of erudite and fabulous player I played with. So... If you had to pick a real housewife to play bridge with, which one would you pick? As in the real housewives of, of Beverly Hills or New York? New or... York, not Jersey, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who would I play with? You know, my favorite housewife of all times is Nene Leakes. So, I mean, if just to meet her would be so hilarious <laughs> and great. I would love to play bridge with Nene Leakes. That would be so incredible. <laughs> I mean it. I just adore her, but... And what's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge? I, I, it, crazy things don't happen when you're playing bridge. I don't, I don't know. It's not a, it's a different kind of slow burn. You know, it's not a crazy, crazy game. I mean, I remember I used to go to this club in, in, in New York City called the Manhattan Bridge Club. And it was great because, you know, with these two rooms or three or four rooms, and then they had this roof terrace and you could go on the roof terrace. And I just remember like, loving so much going on that roof terrace because I was, I was a smoker, you know? I mean, darling, if I could do anything ever again, I would just smoke <laughs> and play bridge for the rest of my life. <laughs> if I knew I was dying in two years, I would just start smoking again and just sit in a room with some crazy old people and play bridge. <laughs> well, give us a call, Isaac. We'll, we'll come and play <laughs> with you. <laughs> <laughs> What's the greatest bridge fashion crime you've ever witnessed? You know, I have to tell you one thing. One reason I love bridge is because there is absolutely very, very little correlation between fashion and bridge. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you go to like a bridge club, you rarely see anybody giving any kind of effort to the way they look. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like I used to I used to say like 
the bridge club felt like the set of The Shining or something. You know, it was like people have like <laughs> missing limbs and, and skin grafts and, and really bad dandruff and terrible shoes. And I like it so much because it's one place I can just go and really not think about clothes. I mean, it, you know, like once or twice there were like these corny kind of like bridge fashion shows that I was invited to. And I think I went to one and it was just awful. I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's, I don't, honestly, that's the thing I like so much about bridge is that it isn't about usually, at least at these duplicate places where we used to go, it was just not about fashion. (laughs) No. Do you feel like it uses a different part of your brain? And I'm also going to throw music in there as well, because I know that you're a very talented musician. So you have the music and you have the bridge, and you have the fashion, do you think that there's a synergy between them or are they just separate parts of your brain? I mean, I think as a creative person, there's part of me that didn't live until I understood bridge, you know, because of the way my brain works as a musician or because of the way my brain works as a fashion person. It's this perfect, perfect, it's a perfect kind of parallel between the game and those professions, really, the way you play the game. And I, I like after a day of bridge, you know, like four or five hours of playing bridge, you come to this crazy kind of, I don't know if you feel this after you play the game for a long enough time, you feel almost like a, like a vertigo, like it's crazy. It's like a lofty, like you feel like you're floating and like you're going to fall or something. Do you ever feel that? No, no, I swear. Well, this is what I feel after I play bridge. And that's what I feel when I am singing on stage. And that is what I feel like when I am showing a collection. I feel this almost like a kind of a a beautiful floaty thing with this edge of vertigo. You know, it's like I'm going to fall. And I feel the same thing when I've played a number of hours at a bridge table. It's like this kind of inspired movement after a, a, a little bit of warming up and yeah, you just feel very, very kind of good, you know? I do say sometimes it helps. So I'm a lawyer by profession. Sometimes I feel that bridge helps me approach a legal problem in a really logical way. Like, I don't know if it right. happens right after a game, but sometimes I notice that I'll be thinking about a law problem and I'll bring to bear the problem solving that I've been developing at Bridge. I don't know if it's, it's not the same physical sensation though that I think you're describing. Because it is, in my case, it's slightly physical. You know, it's like you get this kind of vertigo. But I do that with color too. I have like a little bit of a, an inappropriate response to color sometimes and smells and music as it relates to color and smell. You know, it's a kind of a, I think they refer to it sometimes as synesthesia. And the bridge can can warm the synesthesia, you know, if that makes sense. It's like this feeling of lightness and it's a beautiful feeling, but also there's a dangerous under thing, like you're going to fall, you know? Yeah. What's the most interesting or unusual place that you've played bridge? Interesting or unusual place I've played bridge. Interesting question. I played in some beautiful houses and I feel strange about like revealing to you whose houses they were just because, but some beautiful houses. I've played abroad a few times. I never played in a foreign language. I always would love to have played in a foreign, that would have been so good. 
if you could just sit there and just, you know, because I probably could figure out the bidding in French. I mean, I know I could figure out the bidding in French because I, I, I used to talk French. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there were places in London where we played here and there that were sort of interesting. I don't know. Honestly, it's again, it's not like that. That's not what it was about for me. It wasn't about the interest of where I was or who I was with as much as the bonding with those people or the bonding with that place, you know, because I was having such a good time. And, you know, it was just like my friend's living room or something, you know, in London. And I loved it. Just thinking about what we were talking about with the fashion and what you just said now, don't you find Bridges interesting the way that all affectation falls away and it just becomes about the game and the skill that the person brings to the game? Absolutely. That's the, that's the secret of Bridge. And, you know, when I was a kid, it's funny you should ask about all these fabulous accoutrements because when I was growing up, my mother said to me, darling, if you know how to play Bridge, you know, you'll be on a cruise ship and, you know, the Prince of Wales will need you for a fourth and you'll play with the Prince of Wales or something. So I kept waiting for the Prince of Wales to ask me <laughs> to play bridge. You know, I, I keep expecting to get an invitation for Bill Gates to play bridge. So far, it hasn't happened. I once played with Charles Saatchi a long time ago, and that was fun. I played with Charles Saatchi and my partner, this English guy called Neil Mendoza. We used to play a lot of bridge together. We played with Charles Saatchi. That was the closest that we came to like playing with, you know, the Maharaja of something. But my mother would always tell me, darling, you continue to play, you will have movie stars and, you know, fabulous socialites and writers and all these great people asking you to play. And so far, so far, it's just me and my bridge friends, you know. <laughs> but you're right to say that because what what maybe is the original and, you know, the enhancement, like the thing that gets you to go to bridge, thinking, well, someday I'm going to be on this cruise ship and, you know, Barbara Hutton is going to ask me to play bridge with Harry Grant, you know, <laughs> this is what I always thought was going to happen. And it never really happened that way, but it, it ended up not being about that. It ended up being, you know, this thing that just is so special that you understand. It's like a crazy secret in language, you know. Do you have a favorite bridge convention that you love to play with all your partners? Sure, sure, sure. I, I I don't mind conventions. I just never remember what they're called. So when you sit down in the beginning at Duplicate and you say, I play this convention, that convention, I don't know what they're called. And so sometimes that gets a little illegal because we 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 start, we I my partner knows which convention I'm doing and we didn't list it because we didn't know what it was called. So, and then the director gets called over, which is never fun. But, you know, I love, I love Blackwood. Better than I like key card Blackwood. I don't know why. I feel like, you know what? There's something a little bit more straightforward about Blackwood. I just like it better than I like key card Blackwood. Because key card Blackwood, you know, somehow I already know how many points the person has. So I can figure out kings and queens. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't matter to me. Key card Blackwood is like one too many, too much information. So is that your least favorite convention? Keycard Blackwood, yes. I don't like Keycard Blackwood. That's my least favorite convention. Also, you know what? I, I like, I don't love strong openings so much. I don't love two no Trump openings. I mean, two clubs is you have to do. Two no Trump is such a vague, weird thing to open. It rarely goes right. Two no Trump <laughs> opening rarely goes right. I don't know what that's called. What is that called? I don't know it's what just it's called. Tuno Trump, Tuno Trump opening. Opening, strong opening. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, my least favorite thing is when it goes to no Trump, pass, pass, pass. 
oh, God, I could die. You could die. Exactly. And then you think I should have opened one club and let it happen, you know. But then if you open one club and you're in one club with three. Exactly. So. What's the best bridge advice that you've ever been given? You know, I, I will say this. I remember the very minute when a long, long, long time ago, when we first started playing, when my mom finessed a trick and it worked, right? I remember thinking like, oh, Mike, of course, that's one way to get more tricks, to finesse this way or finesse that way. That just, I think that was one of the great moments of my life when I figured out what finessing was. I mean it. (laughs) Because, you know, you play for a year and a half and you don't know what the hell is going on. Then all of a sudden someone, you notice someone finesses something and you go like, wait a minute, how did that happen? You know, and then you go, no, 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 that's what the game is all about. You know, so I think it was that moment. Isaac, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Jocelyn. And goodbye. It was a pleasure, pleasure talking to you both. Really fun, really fun. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen, and to our listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Isaac says, to paraphrase, you'll know a finesse, or whatever your it is, when you see it. Enjoy that moment when it all comes together. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 